Dr. ZSGOD, Danny Torquell, are here to talk about the third episode of True Detective. Now, Danny, you have watched a little bit more True Detective since our last recording, right? I binged season one in two days. Oh, shit. Jesus. And I I posted a a short uh, about my feelings towards it. Uh, It's as good of a show as I think i've ever watched in terms of like keeping me gripped into this story uh it really hits on some of the things that i love uh cults uh like conspiracy theories that don't go on forever like that's where like the x-files lost me after a while yeah but this like gives you a conspiracy and then contains it within that season and pays it off. Uh, homages to some of the great horror movies and shows. I mean, episode eight of True Detective season one effectively starts and you're like, oh, now we're in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, right. it, yeah, I. It, there's Lovecraft thrown in. There's so much that I loved. Did you ever see, it reminded me of something else. Did you ever see the Jack Nicholson movie, The Pledge? Oh, is that the one where he's uh, like a crossing guard or something or a bus driver? No, that's the crossing guard. Oh, it's literally called the crossing guard. Okay, yeah. okay. So so what the fuck? What is the pledge? What's that one? So the pledge takes place in, uh, I, I think it's out west in like the snowy mountains, small town. And there's an awful rape and murder of a young female child. And... Oh, Jack Nicholson has like literally retired. It's like he he leaves his retirement party to because they the the small town gets the call and he last night at work goes to you know meet see the case and he's the cop that tells the parents and the mother makes him like swear that they'll catch the killer. And they have like a murderer that they they find and they think that's it. The case is over. And he kind of starts to get obsessed with the fact that it wasn't that guy. And he kind of goes off on his own now that he's in retirement. Yeah. And he can't let this go. And it's like, it's this like slow burn uh, crime drama thriller that felt very true detective. Uh, it, it, it's got like elements in it that make you feel like it's like a horror series, kind of like true detective mm-hmm. where if you said, let's cover season one of true detective on this show, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> like the pledge isn't silence of the lambs in terms of horror, but it, sure. it, it touches that, you know, periphery and it's great. It's on Tubi. I, I highly recommend checking that out. I'm also, okay. I also just started reading on audible uh stephen king's the outsider did you read that i saw the show i didn't read it no okay so don't spoil the show i'm a few hours into the book i freaking love it and again it is i feel like it's really creepy of me 
41 year old father of two that I'm suddenly into uh, serial crime fiction about like the rape and murder of young children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that's what the outsider is. Uh, the Stephen King novel where you know, a guy is a, a local like celebrity sports coach is arrested for a brutal rape and murder. And so far I'm at the point where there's evidence to suggest that he did kill them, did kill the kid, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests he was in another place at the exact same time. Right. So I know there's a show, I think it's on max, right? Correct. And it was, yeah. So I cannot wait to get into that. Yeah. Um, and now that we're four and a half minutes in, we could talk about True Detective season four, episode three. Whoa, there you go. No, um, you know, it's funny because you just mentioned Max. Max has a really excellent track record with True Detective and with other shows like The Outsider and uh, Mayor of Easttown. They're all varying different degrees of like what's considered supernatural, what's realistic. Uh, and, and the violence on each show is different. But they've really, really nailed this formula of having like kind of like police procedurals where we deal with like a small town and there's a uh, murder mystery and you don't know what's going on. And the, and there's like always a mystery that reveals darker sins of everyone in the community. And that's what I think that True Detective has been like in the first season and in this season, too. It's funny because um, I go on the True Detective Reddit sometimes and there seems to be this this audience right now that complains a lot about season four of the show, even though there's stuff just like it in season one. It's this weird kind of Star Wars thing where it's like people hate the sequels now, right? But they start to love the prequels. It, with True Detective, it's like season one is awesome. It's really well done. Season four is bad. And there's a lot of stupid nitpicky shit. Like, have, have you seen anything like that online at all, Danny? I, I've seen a few. Uh, there was one person I saw on uh, Twitter X who posted like a still shot of True Detective of this last episode and like with some dialogue and was like, this is why I can't get into season four. And I'm yeah. like, okay, but like it's the same. Like they, they freaking like, Matthew McConaughey sees like a Lovecraftian spiral in the sky to a like mirror to another world at the end of season four. Yeah. You know, uh, when he uh, finds the, the throne of the yellow King and it's beloved. So the idea that there's like supernatural stuff, I have seen a lot of people who, have started to especially highlight the moment at the very beginning of episode two, the frozen guy waking up in the ice as like one of the scariest and creepiest moments in like television slash streaming history, which I audibly yelled when that happened. Right. Uh, I'm loving it. Um, I saw uh, Chris the other night um, on Saturday night and we were talking about it and everyone who was at that party I was at who watches the show said that they love it. Then again, we're all big horror fans, John Carpenter fans. So we all appreciate the connections to the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I feel like there's probably a lot of people who 
are a lot more comfortable with the procedural crime thriller and who keep that horror out of my procedural crime thriller. You know, they're probably the same people who, when they saw Seven and Silence of the Lambs show up on like Shudder's 101 Scariest Movie Moments, they were like, fuck that, that's not a horror movie. Right, right, right. So, yeah. I, I think yeah. that um, what I'm really seeing is it's sort of like with Star Wars where the fans seem to have a big problem when there's women involved or what, like when women play a big role, like, you know, obviously the season with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, you have male leads. Uh, the guy who's the showrunner is a man. Now you have Isa Lopez as the showrunner. You have two female leads. And I really think that all of a sudden they become more critical when it's like, there's, oh. a, there's a word for that. I think it's called sexism. Yeah. Or, or misogyny. Yes. Yes. Or misogyny. Yeah. 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 Either one works. But like so, so did little you know that? Did you know that the NFL is rigged because of Taylor Swift, and it's uh, all a, a plot uh, to steal the election for the Democrats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, man. I know. Okay, it's a, such a fucking stupid world we live in. But like some of the complaints I've seen, like one person was pointing out how, uh, you know, incompetent the police seem in this town. They were saying how they have to get a vet to come in to look at this body, this collection of bodies that's in the ice skating rink, right? Now, one person pointed out, they're like, why did they have to get a vet if there is a hospital in the town? Like, there isn't a person that could do a medical examination that works at that hospital? I think that's actually kind of a credible thing to ask. You know, um, I the defenders have basically said that this is like a small town. There's barely a police presence there. It's a lot of, like, people that are just, like, locals that work there. The, the town barely has any water to begin with. It's so small. So I, I think that like, they they like to point out that the police are incompetent or there's these things like that, but that, like, go that, ahead. You just reminded me of the, the person who I mentioned earlier who complained, gave like a still shot. It was like, oh, what a convenient fight to break out in the hospital. Yeah. So that, you know, um, uh, Navarro is the only one to see the the guy sit up and right and I'm back. like now I am the consummate city kid I yeah. grew up in Brooklyn I I haven't lived in Brooklyn for full time for four years and that was when I was in Binghamton New York for college sure and small town America. It's creepy to me. It yes. is. Yes. And I feel like, and, and I feel like for somebody who grew up in like the sticks, probably city life is crazy. And, and, you know, there's all different like stereotypes and, you know, things that you think about, you know, them city folk. Right. <laughs> so I look at it and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just trying to use the show's logic. Yeah. It's, it's fucking Alaska. <laughs> and it's and it's the northern point. It, it's like the part of Alaska where the sun goes down and doesn't come up for a month. How yes. many people realistically are living in this town? Yes. Not yes. to mention the show establishes from the first episode that nobody really trusts anybody in this town. Yeah. Because there's the people that work for the mine, and then there's the indigenous people who don't like those people kind of like a Lakota pipeline situation yeah. uh, in a different part of the country 
where they view it as a, the destruction of their ancestral land, the destruction of resources. You mentioned the water is turning black in some yeah. points. There's a, a scene in this episode where a baby is born stillborn. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's... So there's obviously a distrust amongst this small population the the one of the leading police officers has to like recruit his local friends to go out and uh find you know look for Clark the one survivor of the uh you know uh, the station uh yeah the massacre yeah so it's like I, it's not too much of a stretch for me as somebody who literally just came on to True Detective like yeah. within the last three weeks i watched right. these three episodes and i binge season one in retrospect like years later nearly a decade later yeah it it is absolute like even season one you're you're not dealing with big cities you're dealing with like the deep south the bayou yeah. everyone is related to each other it seems there's like you know, oh, I can't really rat on my friend. Like, he's also my cousin. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, you know, it's everybody knows everybody, but you don't want to talk about those people. And I, I don't know, as the, as a city kid and a, and a city adult, it just seems to me that that is what, not even small town America, but the smallest of small town America, like isolated small town America would be like suspicious of each other, you know, it, it, so I, I, if that is defending the show and the logic of it, sure, I guess. Yeah. I'm just looking at it. Like it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't have any complaints about the show. I do think that the things that I've seen have been like little nitpicks that people are letting be a big deal and i do think it's because it's two main female leads and it's a female showrunner it's this weird thing where it's like oh true detective it's men it's matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson you know they don't really reference the other two seasons either but then they're like oh this one it's it's jodie foster and she's a lesbian watch out you know like i think that's where the issue comes from but it's such a like a awesomely made show like you talk about that isolation and how it's a small town up in the northern part of alaska there's so many great shots in particular in this third episode where uh you see the town in the distance and it's just these lights and then just this big ongoing white tundra and it just shows like okay it's just this small place where all these people are congregated like there's so many awesome shots and i wanted to bring this up uh 15 minutes in now I know my my wife watched this last time. She wanted me to mention the Rat King. She was saying that uh, Isa Lopez, um, when when they were coming up with the design for all the men trapped in the snow, which has become kind of iconic at this point, this sort of like creepy design. Um, she based on a thing that actually does occur in nature. It's called the Rat King, and essentially, it's it's when rats, when they are all together in a litter, and unfortunately, their tails get wrapped together and so they end up like starving themselves and kind of trampling themselves and die because when they're born their tails get bound together and it's a very rare thing to happen in nature but it has happened before and scientists are really into it and that's the design for this fucking corpsicle that's on this show it's creepy right 
Yeah, uh, I I feel like I I think I mentioned this last time. It also reminds me of like the final Marauder at the end of Evil Dead Rise. Just oh, yes. like a, yes. a mountain of body parts twisting. Yes, uh, Dexter had an episode, uh, a season. I think it was season six. It was with Tom Hanks's son. Oh, okay, uh, Colin Hanks. Where, yeah. Uh, the the good one, not the crazy one. Right, uh, right. Where uh, the the murderer, the murderer of the season, set up these like elaborate tableaus, uh, for like the police to find, and and it it just reminds me of that. And I've never heard of this Rat King. The only Rat King I know was from Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that is horrifying, creepy. Yeah. yeah. And it's so funny because, like, the Rat King idea is something that is, like, these creatures are born and they die when they're born because of circumstances. That's a big part of episode three. We don't really see the corpsicle that much in this episode, but we do hear about one birth and we see one birth happen. The episode begins with a flashback to where uh, Evangeline meets Annie Kay for the first time. She's going to arrest Annie Kay for something that she did in, in the form of a protest, she goes to where Annie Kay is and she's actually like at a birthing center. And when it's, it's interesting because like when, when uh, Evangeline shows up at the birthing center, you hear this woman screaming and it sounds like, oh shit, maybe someone's being murdered or something like that, <laughs> right? And But then it's a woman giving birth. And it's this great sequence. It, it's actually very scary at first because the baby is born without making any noise and so you think oh shit the baby died you know like this could happen in the sound but then annie k is able to save the baby with some cpr and it's just this touching scene and we see like who annie k is as a person um later on in the episode you already kind of mentioned this already but uh there's a baby that's born stillborn and it's in the indigenous community and they're all very upset um that sequence was really touching because Jodie Foster comes to like pay her respects essentially. And there's this sort of noise that the people, the indigenous people are making when they are grieving. And it's this very discordant kind of noise that kind of throws you off. It kind of puts you on edge. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I love what uh, Isa Lopez is doing with, if you would even call it music, Throughout the like, even like the sound, the right. the, the audio, the 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 reverb that we get throughout this series, that scene that you're referencing, and then there's the constant use of a really slow and distorted version of twist and shout. Yes, yes, which yes. is kind of like creepy. And I got to be honest, I probably wouldn't even know it was twist and shout if I didn't have the captions on my TV. Yep. Because once I saw that, I was like, that, that, what? And yeah. then I started to like put two and two together that, oh, okay, that it is yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I. Let's talk I about that, you know, because that part is such a crucial part of the show. I thought that the rift that was caused between, uh, you know, Danvers and uh, Navarro was the Annie K case, but it turns out it wasn't. It was their final case they had together. Do you want to explain that, Danny, and how it connects to the Beatles? No, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so basically, I, I, because I, I, you obviously have a way that you want to connect it to the Beatles, and I, we, 
for those of you watching, we were supposed to record this three days ago and I had an issue that we had. So I was like fresh and ready to go. And then in the last three days, I've had a lot of stuff, the new semester of school. So I, parts of this episode are not as there as they were three days ago. So gotcha. yeah, you go ahead, Pete. All right, I'm going to look for the, the look of recognition on your eyes when I say this. Okay. okay. So, so basically Navarro uh, and Danvers, what happens is Peter, the cop, asks Danvers to tell him why he no longer works or she no longer works with Navarro. And she talks about this guy who was a drunk and he would beat this one very young girlfriend up multiple times and she'd never press charges against him. The girl was like 18. He would beat her up. Navarro and Danvers would respond to the calls, but then she would never press charges and the girl would stay living with the guy. So then one day they finally get a call and the guy's gone too far and he's beaten the girl to death. And they show this in the episode where Navarro and Danvers show up at the, the scene. The girl's dead on the floor and the Beatles twist and shout is playing in the background. And what's interesting when Danvers, Jodie Foster is explaining this to Peter, the cop, she's saying that she shows up and they're both dead. She said that the guy committed suicide. He shot himself in the head, but he's very clearly alive in the flashback. So now, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that was really eerie. And, of course, like in a small town like this, unfortunately, you are going to have people that are alcoholics, and you're absolutely going to have abusive people too. So pretty disturbing sequence, I thought. So uh, agree. So here's the follow-up. Okay. Did Because obviously the story she's telling Peter that it was a murder-suicide is BS. Correct. Is she covering herself up because she walked in and shot the guy in the head? Or is she covering up for Danvers? Because Danvers has shown more of a penchant for not being able to, you know, she goes after, especially anyone who puts their hands on women. Yeah. She's been in these just first three episodes. She's been very aggressive. Uh, the guy yeah. who gives up the information about the trailer, yeah. she's very aggressive towards him. Yeah. Um, you know, in the first episode, in the bar, she's very aggressive. Uh, yeah. And, and there's, I think, like, her sister may have gotten abused, and she's very aggressive. So yeah. maybe is she covering for Navarro? Or did she, Jodie Foster's character, Danvers, did she... It, it's obvious one of them killed this guy and the other one probably didn't agree with the cover-up or, or of some kind, which is what led to them, you know, having a split as a partnership. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think based on what we've seen, it might be Navarro. Yes. Uh, but then again, Jodie Foster also kind of seems like a hothead. Uh you know, and, and, and kind of reacts very quickly at times. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it's going to be, it's going to end up being Jodie Foster. That was the one that pulled the trigger. But um, what I was going to say is that Navarro, her character reminds me a lot of uh, Bud White from LA Confidential. That's Russell Crowe's character from LA Confidential. Do you, do you remember that movie at all? Or I saw it. Probably back in 1997. Oh. I remember really liking it, and I don't yeah. think I've ever seen it again. 
He does. Yeah. Russell Crowe's character is—is is he the one that gets killed like early on? And I was like, oh, I thought he was the main character. No, no, no. That's uh, Guy Pierce. No, 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 no. The one that gets uh, killed in that one is uh, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey's in it too. Guy Pierce yeah. is in it. Russell Crowe's in it. And Kevin Spacey, yeah. Okay. Oh, so is are Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce the detectives? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all detectives, but Guy Pierce and uh, Russell Crowe are the ones that make it to the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, then I really don't remember that movie. Maybe I'll give it another uh, watch. Yeah, I, yeah. So um, it's just, it's, it's funny because, like, they have that song that's kind of eerie, but then Navarro is having visions in this episode too. That's another thing that those nitpickers were bothered, were complaining about. Like, oh, now there's visions in this, and uh, there's one part that was kind of interesting. Did you notice how like an orange kept kind of showing up in this episode? It was like rolling on the ground. Uh, Sherry, I'm going to give Sherry credit for this once again. Sherry was saying that she read an article recently where someone said that's kind of an allusion to the Godfather. Because, like, oranges kind of show up when there's death in The Godfather. Yeah, the, the, well, I mean, when uh, uh, Vito is buying oranges when he gets attacked and shot in the back. Yeah. And then I think I think when he has a heart attack in the end, he's playing with his grandkids, and it's in, like, an orange orchard, too. Yeah, and, he, yeah, they're it's like a fruit orchard, yeah. Yeah, because he has, like, an orange, like, rind in his mouth, right, at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I mean, it's kind of twisted stuff. A lot of people have compared this to uh, Twin Peaks, but I, I, I like that kind of stuff. What, what kind of stood out to you this episode? I mean, obviously the the ending with the 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 amputee uh, coming. Uh, I like that they alluded to, and I kind of thought that this was the case because um, they had been building to this. But they allude to like Navarro having like an indigenous part of her life that she is either has either turned like turned off or you know left behind, and I feel like you know there's uh, some kind of like spiritual awakening that is coming for her character, um, yeah. especially with these visions you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, did yeah, you, did I you just thought that there's this part where. She's like slips and hits her head, and then she's she on wakes the up in the desert. Right, she's in the desert, and then this like little boy kind of touches her, and he's got the uh, polar bear with only one eye. And he's like, "Tell my mom something." I think he says something like that. Yeah. There's a line she says in this one. There's a really long sequence where like her and Jodie Foster are in the car driving somewhere, and she says, "You know, when I'm by myself, I pray." Right. And then Jodie Foster says, oh, you tell God things? And then she says, no, I listen. And that's kind of where the scene ends, so she doesn't, like, elaborate on that. But that in itself is, like, an interesting thing, that she's, like, getting these visions from God, right? Yeah. I, I like, it's like you say, like, I, I feel like I have to defend the show that I, I don't have any issues with right. so far. I'm really into it. I think it's I think the they're hammering home a lot of the thing qualities uh, yeah. and keeping it like scary and suspenseful. They've like, like it's very obvious that there's something supernatural going on. Yes. Uh, and if it's not like supernatural, then maybe it's like spiritual for the people involved. It almost gives me like uh 
Did you see From Hell? No, I know what it's about, though. It's based on a comic. Yeah, it's ba yeah. Alan Moore, right? Isn't right, that right. Yeah, he's a totally normal guy, too, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I love From Hell. Rewatched it recently. And that yeah. movie is, there's nothing supernatural about it. It's not like Jack the Ripper is like a vampire who comes out of the night and like murders prostitutes. Right. It, but in the movie, Johnny Depp is kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where he could like, he gets visions. He's like a medium. Yeah. He, he gets visions and he, he does, um, he chases the dragon. He goes to like opium dens and okay. he like smokes opium to like give himself visions of Jack the Ripper murdering prostitutes. Right. And he uses that to like help solve the case. But the case itself and the murders are done completely without any supernatural elements to them. Sure, sure. And so this feels like it, it's going to end up being very similar where maybe there is this indigenous, you know, almost like Wendigo type thing uh, yeah. that like Navarro and the indigenous people in Ellis, Ennis um, are, are dealing with. Right. That only they see, and maybe it helps them solve the murder of Annie Kay and the murder of these um, people from the Salal station. But, you know, it's supernatural for them, but not to the plot of the the mystery. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yes. Yeah, yes. so I, I don't know how far Isa Lopez wants to take it with yeah. the supernatural. Yeah. Um. Because, I mean, we've talked about covering Tigers Are Not Afraid. That is as great a movie as I've ever seen that marries real world, this is actually happening and is terrifying in real life, like Mexican cartel horror oh. with there is supernatural shit going on. And it right. marries those two together in just this perfect blend. Uh, so she can do that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm there. I, you know, as a horror person, I'm, I'm there for that. I, yeah. I don't need, you know, if, if true detective season one ended with a fucking elder God coming down and killing Matthew McConaughey, I would have been like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, maybe that's just me. Maybe that will just fuel the Redditors. Hey, you know, yeah. after all, it, you know, without Redditors and, people on the dark web we wouldn't have had villains for batman to fight in the last 30 minutes of uh the batman oh my god that, that is this quite a little stretch you just made there but i love it <laughs> um i was gonna Hold say on, let me let me throw a grenade over there and run away oh my god wow <laughs> so like um you know you brought up this point of like how there's gonna be this like maybe like a supernatural thing that helps them solve the case but the case itself is going to have a practical solution, which I think is kind of interesting because like when you watch True Detective season one, it's people that are murdered in a bizarre way or a gruesome way. But it's still the idea that like they're murdered by a human. Now, in this one, they bring on this vet and the vet says that he, it looks like the people were scared to death, like that they didn't die the way that people die when they freeze to death, which is a calm way. They were scared to death. 
Now, there's there's been so much in these first three episodes where they talk about, you know, we woke her up, she's awake, and there's something scary in there. Um, in this, we get a couple of weird sequences that kind of go along with your idea of like there being like a Wendigo or some kind of dark creature. First off, we have this guy named Lund, who he was, fa- he's the one that was awake and screaming in that second episode. Um, we see him in this episode in a bed. And he looks just like something straight out of like Life Force or like um, uh, what the fuck is that? The one you, you just put trash from it on uh, Twitter. Oh, the Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead. Like he almost looks like that kind of like puppetry, but it's like a person. Like he looks like an '80s undead monster in it. And that yeah. sequence is really creepy, where he sits up and he starts telling her, like you know, you're you're gonna see your mother soon or something like that, or your mother sends a message. Right, um, so there's like Reagan, your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. Right, 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 right. And and, you know, we get a glimpse into uh Navarro's past too. With this, there's this really great sequence. You know, I I, I still want to give praise for just the visuals in the show. There's a sequence where Navarro's looking for her sister who is freaked out and run away from the bar, and then she's just sitting like in this massive ship that's just on the ice. You know, that's where she finds her. And then they kind of have like a little allusion to their uh, past. You know, uh, Navarro tells I her. Love, I thought yeah. that was uh, that that's the second straight show that we have watched and reviewed that had just a like weird broken down boat in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Here it makes a little bit more sense being it probably was the water that it was sitting on froze around it. Yeah. Uh, the other one, of course, was um, in Monarch, where they they find like a, a like a submarine, yeah. in the middle of like the jungle in in Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, I love things like that, and that, that of course goes back to your favorite show, Lost, too. There's definitely at least one or two grounded ships there, but uh, you know, they 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 allude to Navarro's past and that her mother had some kind of mental illness. Um, they also explain how she has an accent because she has like sort of like a I think it was a Boston accent in this because because she moved away with her mom uh, to get away from their dad and then they eventually moved back to Alaska. Um, but one other thing I was going to say about the uh, visuals and stuff is that after we have the sequence with Lund sitting up in the hospital bed, we get this last sequence where uh, they finally unlock Annie Kay's phone and we see that she's like in some kind of fucking cave or something. And that's like straight up horror movie. It's, it's actually kind of like a found footage horror movie at that point because it's like her like talking. And uh, I mean, you have no idea what's going on. You hear her screaming. You don't know what they're seeing. But I'm assuming that you don't really see anything. What do you think is going on in that phone? I don't uh, know. I it, it, But like... Between the trailer sequence from the second episode, yeah. uh, with all with like the that like body laying in the bed, that like manufactured body laying in the bed, and all oh, yeah, the, yeah. the symbols everywhere, yeah, uh, and like the allusions to like again, like kind of cult, uh, you know, older mythology. Uh, now this episode, they go to the Native American, uh, the indigenous land. Uh, and they're like warned to get off the land. Uh, and you know, the, the, the scene on the phone, you can't really tell what, where she is or 
what's behind her. I like the, the ceiling behind her looked very strange. And again, it kind of made me think about the thing where like, uh, and even the, the, the not great prequel to the thing where they like, they kind of go into like the, they find like a frozen tunnel to lead into where the thing came out of. And maybe she finds like a, a cave that there there's like an, a, a being of some kind who knows, you know, you know, you brought up the, she's awake. We don't know what that is. And yeah. I, again, I kind of come back to this idea that there is going to be something supernatural going on yeah. that who she is, you know, you know, and, and I can only, you know, the nice thing about True Detective is that it's only eight episodes. And what I will say about True Detective season one again, I love that they completed the story. Yes, yes. They, I was really nervous knowing that like season two and season three were like completely isolated stories. Yeah. You had told me that like season one, each season is its, it's, it's, its own animal. Yeah. I was still nervous watching it that they were not going to resolve the story. That sure. like the resolution to the story was going to be they don't resolve it. Yeah. Ooh. And no. so I really liked that we did get a resolution and yeah. that it, it felt like a cathartic ending. So I'm kind of like it just makes me excited yeah. to be on, on board now you know, without being able to just next episode, next episode, next episode, because now we have all this time. It can marinate. Yep. You and I talk about it during the week. Yep. And now it's like, okay, it's Thursday. Uh, so only a couple more days. You know, you told me new episodes come on Sunday mornings. I wake up early last Sunday. I'm like, all right, Sunday morning, going to put on true detective. And I'm like, Oh shit. It doesn't come on until like Sunday night. Ah, yeah. Man. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it, it comes on the same time it does on the HBO channel, you know? So it's like that nine o'clock your time kind of HBO thing. But uh, I was going to say that, like, I've actually made a whole bunch of references to Sherry this episode. And it's because Sherry and I are having these discussions just like you and I are. And she compared it to a movie that you had recommended to me last year, which was The Feast. Do you remember The Feast? Yeah. That movie where it's like this like entity kind of takes over this girl and then they have that like, you know, like get together and then horrible things happen to all the people at the get together. She was like, maybe it's like the feast where this thing wakes up because they're mining where this thing was sleeping that, and it comes out, you know? Well, that was the other thing with Annie Kay where her whole thing was protesting the mine. Yeah. So to me that... It, that scene on the phone, the most logical thing was that she had gone into the mine right. and maybe she sees me like I, and, and then this is where like my Lovecraftian John Carpenter brain takes over. And I'm like, maybe the water uh, is maybe like the black water is like the blood of this ancient being. And yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what arises from the mine. And I'm like, and then I'm yeah. like, it's probably just going to be like John Hawks is the killer. And, <laughs> and, like, it, it, and I'm like, like I'm trying to like talk myself out of like crazy ideas. Right. 
It, it probably is going to be just John Hawks, which uh, he gets himself a face full of coffee in this episode when he compares Jodie Foster to Mrs. Robinson in uh, <laughs> The Graduate. Which I, I love that Peter's response is, who's Mrs. Robinson? That, well, like, like, Peter Peter is like the most doe-eyed. Yeah. Like, you could tell, like, he doesn't know anything outside of, like, I have a hot indigenous wife and a young kid at home. And I work for Jodie Foster and she won't let me have any free time. And it's like, and that's it. He doesn't know anything else. He does yeah. like, he, he reminds me of like Captain America woken up from the ice in like the two thousands, not understanding like what a tele, what, what a cell phone is. Yes. You know? that's, that's such a great comparison. And it's an ironic comparison because he spends most of his time watching bodies he, thaw out, which oh, I yeah. love. In this episode, I love because uh, his friend who's the vet says, like, dude, how long have you been just sitting here staring at these bodies, you know? I think we, we made that point last week. Like, Jodie Foster's stepdaughter just, like, walks in to, like, sit with him in yeah. front of this mountain of, like, six frozen dead bodies. Yes. Like, yeah. that are contorted to look like they're, like, you're like, oh, yeah, look at that guy thawing out. So, yeah, how was your day? Like, <laughs> look, at his frost, look at his frostbitten dick. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that's probably, once we say frostbitten dick, that's a good sign to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, Danny and I, we're going to keep recording the show. I'm thinking that this Monday we'll get a chance to talk about episode four. Uh, is there anything else people should check out on the channel? Uh Really, I, I think the only thing I've posted uh, this week was my, like, probably 50-second uh, just quick review of season one of True Detective. If you've somehow not watched it, I don't spoil anything in there, even though I'm pretty sure I spoiled everything talking about it. Um, <laughs> I do have uh, something exciting coming up next week. I'm going to be at the IFC Center in Manhattan three different times. Uh, they're doing a Dario Argento retrospective. Uh, so I'm nice. going s Sunday uh, afternoon. I'm going to see Inferno, which is one of my favorite oh, Argento yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, then Monday, I'm going to the Shutter Showcase of uh, Tenebrae, which is fucking great. That's been on Joe Bob before. Uh, another one of his best films and rounding it out going Thursday night I'm seeing Panico which is a new Dario Argento documentary that is coming out I think about oh. like his life and his films and I think that's coming to shutter later this month that's very cool man Jesus all right you got yeah. all set up yeah I'm sure there'll be some cool videos spurred on from that then hopefully and uh like I said I I'd love to um record with you maybe next saturday we can do uh tigers are not afraid uh yeah. which was isa lopez's like absolute stunning uh horror film that came out probably about five six years ago now yeah yeah i'm, I'm definitely down i can watch that this week and then we can talk about it uh for next time yeah so until then guys danny and i will be back next week for true detective season four episode four